0: listening to episode 45, chapter 5 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert And I'm Josh
1: Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He
0: would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And now that it's the end of the week, we have come to what has become one of our favorite segments. And that is where Josh and I sort of wrap up the week and talk about our greatest insights from uh, the week's conversation. And so today we are talking about our conversation with Don Everts on his new book on spiritually vibrant homes. And uh, this was a really great conversation because, I mean, especially because of we're all quarantined right now because of coronavirus. And um, we're forced to be with our families a whole lot in in our houses. And so I think this is a really well-timed episode because it's given us a lot of things to think about and a lot of things to do. So um, I I guess I'd kick it over to you, Josh, and say, what was like one of your favorite insights and um, that came out of this week's conversation? And and how have you been able to uh, sort of apply those things?
1: So I do have to kind of preface this by saying that I don't think there have been many other episodes of the daily growth discipleship process that have kind of hit me right in the gut like this one did. Yeah. Um and not in a not in a bad way because like the entire time we were talking about this this isn't a a need for perfection. Um but one of the things that's really got me thinking and one of the things that I'm actually uh most excited to to actually really implement is what we talked about in, uh, I think it was chapter two, just intentionally evaluating what we do and the decisions we make uh, so that we can be intentional about, about the values of our home. Um, it was when he told the, the story about recycling. He said, we're going to be a family that recycles. they just talking about the, the value of wanting to be a family that recycles. And so, um, you know, I, th- I look back over the week and... Like, like the week in my home here, and I can I can think of so many times that we've inadvertently demonstrated a value that we have as a family that, honestly, I don't know if we've actually taken the time to evaluate whether we want to have that value or not. Mm-hmm. It's just there. And it's I think these values are typically some kind of combination of your upbringing and your spouse's upbringing and... I don't know. After eleven years of marriage, now it it feels like we've kind of started to understand the values that each one of us has brought to the table, and we've started to to kind of work through that. I, I wouldn't say perfectly by any means, but we've we've been able to at least understand the unwritten, unspoken rules that each one of us have brought to the table as far as values go. Um, and That's so a good now it. now I think I'm I'm looking forward to actually thinking about it this way, because honestly, before this conversation, I don't know that I had ever thought about the little things like we're going to be a family that recycles uh, as having the ability to demonstrate a value that either I hold or my wife holds or that we both hold together. And uh, yeah, just the, the ability to intentionally choose our values is, is really powerful to me. And I'm really looking forward to implementing that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it can bring up so much potential for growth and understanding. I mean, if you think about it, like, especially with like you and your wife, or and then maybe with your kids, the things that you've probably gotten in the biggest fights about or get the most angry about is probably it's rubbing against one of those values. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Inadvertently. And so, like, my wife's one of my wife's values, and I, I used to, again, I have language now to give voice to this. I didn't before. Uh, Don told us about this in in chapter two. But um, like she wants my daughter's room to be clean every single night before they go to bed. So much so that she will go in there and clean it up herself. And I'm like, dear, I don't understand why you would go through the trouble of doing this. Like it's very frustrating to her. She doesn't necessarily do it like happily. She does it a little begrudgingly. So I'm like, why would you do something if you don't want to do it? And um, But now I understand, oh, that's a value that she holds. She feels that in some way, right, the room needs to be clean. It says something about who she is, who she wants uh, our children to be, who she wants our family to be. And so that at least then gives us a nice bridge for us to start dialoguing about. And it's like, okay, well, what's really going on here? We can peel back the layers and and, and try to understand, uh, you know, Things at a deeper level, rather than just, you know, okay, well, I guess if you want to clean it, you go clean it and have fun. And instead, it becomes something now that we can either work on together, or, you know, maybe she can even loosen up on in some cases.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, I, I talk about every once in a while here in the podcast that I, that I when I'm when I feel out of control, I want to do something to take control. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, having the the environment around me, the room around me, or the house. Um, clean is a way for me to control things. Now, the problem is when I start to do that, I do it uh, with a real bitter attitude. And it, it's it's kind of like uh, Don communicating the wrong way to his wife. It's just when, when I clean, it's not the healthy way to clean. And so at, in the end, it makes me feel better because I, I've taken control of the situation, uh, but it's not been healthy for the family. Anyway, I value not just something being clean, I value having control over my life. And if we start to dig into that and explore why it is that I feel like I have to have control, that's a that's a much different conversation to have with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Now Alicia, on the other hand, Alicia's great. She will she's uh, far more uh, flexible and, and allows things to to just kind of be sometimes. And, um, sometimes that really bugs me, but other times it's a good reminder that I tend to take things too seriously and hold to them too tightly. And so I guess I say all that to say this, this understanding that we can be intentional about our values and that we can have conversations about our values. Um, it's not just about understanding what we value, but it's it's about understanding why we value it mm-hmm. and th- that just takes a lot of time, which I mean for me brings me back to the the co- the other part of the conversation that I really liked was that this isn't about perfection, yeah, this is about little nudges in the right direction. It's what we talked about with uh, uh, about the the men in the home in chapter four and I think it was in the, the Messy Prayers Loud Tables and Open Doors chapter where we, we talked about we don't have to get these prayer times right. Uh, we just have to move a little further in the right direction. You don't have to, yeah. like if you're, if you're feeling like the one who needs to, to lead every prayer, you don't necessarily have to. If you don't know how to pray, just say, hey, one of us could, should pray for this. Anybody want to pray? And that's, <laughs> a, that's a step in the right direction and uh that takes all the pressure off.
0: Yeah, if you go into it with the expectation that things are going to be a little messy and awkward, I think that relieves so much pressure and allows you to uh to at least overcome the fear and take that first step. And then it can kind of be a you know, sort of a fun thing that you do together, you know? <laughs> like you yeah. you could you might, you know, if you're at the dinner table and you're a family that doesn't normally pray together, you know, and you say something like that, you might get a whole lot of awkward looks and um you know, like go with it or and, and you can even preface it by, "Hey, why don't we do something that we're not used to doing here? This might be a little weird, just go with it, guys and and so um, mm-hmm. offer up that suggestion. I think that's those are really great ways of, yeah, taking something that could be really, really tough and uh, turning it into something that could be really a lot of fun and and I think your family will respect you so much more. Uh, for doing those things, and and again, chapter four was speaking specifically to men, but I'm I'm speaking here, um, you know, to to both men and women, and so regardless of, you know, if you are listening, the point is is you can become a leader in your household, uh, you know, leading it to spiritual vibrancy, and so that's what that's what that's ultimately what we are, what we were after, and so yeah, I think that was my uh. My second favorite part as well is just that there's no, we don't have to aim for perfection. Again, you know, my parents, they were great spiritual influences in my life, um, but it was never formal. And so I feel a little uncomfortable. Like we never had like, like routine family devotional times. Um, now we tried a few times. And so we would like, okay, we're going to start doing this. And then we would do it like once or twice. And, you know, they were kind of, of die like, out. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like, like me is, you know, I kind of have that pressure, right? is like, well, that's what a good spiritually vibrant home must look like is that they're having these, these routine grand family uh, devotional times. Or like um, one of our guests, Brian Dietz talked about, he has a friend that he said he reads with his children, the Bible, like 30 (laughs) minutes every single night. And it was just like, oh my goodness. Like, how unspiritual am I? Cause I don't get close to doing that. You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm lucky to get in like once or twice a week, most weeks. And so it, you can feel really intimidated by these things, but that's not the point. And I, I, the research bears out that you don't need to have a super structured or super formal time to have a spiritually vibrant home. No, but I think those things are great. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're at a family, and you want to make that a value? I think that is something that you should pursue with all awkwardness and sincerity. But um, it—it's not a. There's great relief in knowing that that's not a requirement; that you can work your way towards it.
1: Do it because it's something you enjoy doing. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, really, that extends to everything that we do in this lifestyle of discipleship. Um. We value uh, the grace of God that takes care of all of our sins and all the requirements of the law. And because of that, we have the freedom to grow out of joy, not out of duty or requirement. And so some weeks you may read the Bible once or twice, other weeks you may read it 14 times. The point is, enjoy doing it. And I think that extends to our families as well as we try to become a spiritually vibrant home.
0: Yes, very well said. And I think that's a great way of sort of summarizing the real value of this whole conversation and looking at why is the home something we should pay attention to? I think most of us, if we were asked that question, it would be like, yeah, sure, it's a no brainer. Um, but, you know, before talking to Don or leading up to the conversation, Josh and I sort of realized that we have not done many episodes of the podcast on the home specifically for creating a lifestyle of discipleship. And yet the home is the biggest influence on your lifestyle. Like that's where it begins, right? It's like, yep. Yep. Like, what does your morning look like from the moment you wake up? That's your lifestyle of discipleship. And so, um, you know, we know, we know those things in our minds, but we need to start being more intentional about them if we haven't done so. And so, because, man, the way you wake up in the morning and and all the way to going to bed, what time you go to bed in the evening, is your lifestyle of discipleship. How much sleep you get, sometimes the best thing that we can do for our spiritual lives is to get more sleep. Somebody famous said that, and I forget who it is. Martin Luther. Attribute it to Martin Luther, or C.S. Lewis, or Abraham Lincoln. So maybe if, if it
1: wasn't either one of them, it was Abraham Lincoln.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: he tweeted it one day, I think.
0: So for yeah, for those of you who don't know, eighty-five percent of the quotes on the internet are uh, made up. Abraham Lincoln said that. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, all that to say is uh, take take the lifestyle of discipleship seriously, and if you haven't considered its impact on your home life yet, this has been a great episode for all of us to do that. And so, I mean, surely you're not listening to this conversation uh, without having listened to the rest of it. So I'm sure you have already considered that, but. Um,
1: and if you are go back and listen to the other four, cause they're,
0: they're really good. Absolutely. They will change your life. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Don's work, check out lhm.org. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.